0: Welcome back to the Adventist City Ministries podcast. Last time we took a look at justification, what it means to be declared right through the gospel of Jesus. Today, we are gonna take a look at who qualifies for the righteousness of Christ and how that whole process really occurs. So yeah, let's get into it. We're gonna start in
1: Romans chapter five and verse six. You wanna take a look at that, Jeff. Sure. And I'll read the we'll go through this uh, verse by verse. And as we're going through, we're going to point out the, the different words that are used to uh, uh, that apply to just those who are being justified. This chapter begins with uh, verse one. I can read first so that it gives us context. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, there's a lot to read into that. Uh, First, first off, it's having been its past tense justified. And we already uh, set our our tone to what that means is to be declared righteous. So having been declared righteous and it happens by faith that happens by it's always by faith and belief uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done on our behalf. And we'll come back to that in our next podcast. But this time, what we want to see is if we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, what was our condition when that happened? Like some people think in order for this great, wonderful gift of Jesus Christ, that we have to have get our our act together before uh, God could even begin to work with us. But we're going to find out that that's different today. And starting with verse six. It says, "For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly." There's really two cues here. Do you see them, Andrew, as to what our condition was when God offered this to us? Yeah, I see that it says that we're without strength, even powerless. Yeah, helpless is another word in some versions. I don't. So we weren't in a position of of uh, strength, so to speak, or. This occurs when we were in that condition. And secondly, it says that Christ died for the ungodly. So there's, there's two words that kind of tell us where the gospel begins with us. We're powerless and we're ungodly. And we've discussed ungodly before way back in uh, Romans chapter one. Uh, we talked about ungodliness and unrighteousness together and that our our condition of ungodliness or being without God produces unrighteousness in our life. And so this is, this is really, we're in the raw of sin is what Paul is saying here when Christ approaches us with this good news. Yeah. It's like we're, we're almost like
0: children without parents. And when you're in that condition, you don't, you don't know what's right and wrong. There's nobody to tell you that's, you know, that's why we, God had to bring us the law, but our condition is, is much more than just being given a law to follow because a law doesn't ultimately bring us righteousness. It's by an outside force that had to be performed by
1: God. Yeah. And what's beautiful about this, and he's going to talk about it. Paul's going to talk about it is, is that God came to us in this condition he, he could see that we were ungodly. He could see that we were powerless. And you said last time, like, because he's, he's so loving, he's a loving God, he decided, I got to do something. I want to be with those people. I love them. I got to do something. And so he, this plan of salvation, this, this way of bringing us back to him and reconciling us and forgiving us of our sins, all of it being legal and complete, um he has done in his son jesus christ and he comes to us and he meets us where we're at yeah so how does he eliminate sin without us getting caught in the crossfire that's a that's a good question and you know, we have got to answer that along the way how does he turn us around is that what you mean
0: yeah because we are in this condition he he loves us but you know we we are we are stuck in this pattern of sin that leads to death and so he wants to rescue us from that. But at the same time, he has to, he has to let that process of death and entropy come to pass because he wants to cleanse the universe of sin and unrighteousness.
1: I I used to, uh, I had an an old friend who used to tell a story about, it's an easy story to recognize how it relates to what we're talking about. He, He used to have a garden and pigs would come into, wild pigs would come into his garden and they would eat the food. So he dug a pit a nice deep pit to catch the pig. And he was excited because he went out there one day and he could hear that the pig was in the pit. And when he got there, he the pig was certainly in the pit, but it had rained overnight. And now the pit was full of mud and the pig was completely covered in mud. And he said it reminded him of our condition when God came and found us. That he looked down there and we're the pig, we're in the mud, mud is sin. And that pig, the reality of it, the pig wasn't distressed because pigs love mud. Right. And so he, as he pulled the pig out, he also thought about, well, what do I do with it now? And he related it to the fact that not only did God pull us out of the mud, in other words, that's justification. He saved us from our situation, but then he also decides I need to clean the mud off him. We can't talk about how just, justification, we can talk about it in singularity, but it's directly connected to the rest of the work that God wants to do in us. Not just saving us, but cleaning us as well,
0: cleansing us. Yeah, because God wants to make us whole. He just doesn't want to, promise a better life than not actually allowing us to experience that. But the fullness of life in terms of who God is, is experiencing life as as he is.
1: Right. Now the forensics of how he does that, we've discussed the forensics of justification, so to speak, but the forensics of how God actually does that, we'll talk about it in our next lesson. But for today, let's just see if we can learn more about where God meets us. It says in verse seven, that for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet, perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. That's just, that's just a raw look at who we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard it
0: that during Paul's time there, there were a lot of stories like this, that would go around or popular in in the culture at that time about uh, the name escapes me of these, two characters, but it's like these two, two lovers and the, the man decides, you know, to give his life for the woman because she was, you know, doomed to death. But he said, no, I'll, I'll die in your place because I love you. But yet the contrast here is that Paul's making the argument that, well, God is actually dying through Jesus for the whole world and not just one person who's good, but the lowest of the low, you know, the, the most
1: vile person has access to the gospel. Yeah. And it does. It tells us in the next verse that this is his demonstration of who he is. It's a demonstration of his own love towards us. You know, to be a parent, I kind of get this a lot. I see my kids who are all grown up now, and I labor over decisions that they make, and I just pray for them every day. And I have this great compassion. And there's probably nothing that I wouldn't do to make their lives better because I love them. Yet my love for my kids pales. It just pales in comparison to God's love for us. The the passion that I feel with regards to the love for my children, I can understand just a little bit about how God felt about being separated from us, his children. And he, so he decided to demonstrate his love for us. And he did that by sending Jesus Christ, it says, while we were still sinners. It didn't say after we got cleaned up from our sin. It said while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right, so there's no proving that we are
0: good enough or able to somehow show that we are
1: deserving of the gift that God has for us. God just decided that I need to demonstrate for them in their condition that there's a solution. And he did it through his son, Jesus Christ. His love for us is the compelling force in all of this. In order to, to stop any cycle of violence or hate,
0: uh, it doesn't take any more of those things. You know, you can't fight fire with fire. It's when we see somebody take responsibility and say, no, you know what, I'm going to stop it right here. I'm going to do what's right. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm going to turn the other cheek and show grace instead of vengeance and retaliation. And that's what God has
1: done for us. It is an amazing thing to think about when you are you finally sit down and realize and you see the this demonstration of love that God has bestowed upon us. Like I said, I can't, it, there's, there's very few examples that, in, uh, in our lives here that readily share the same truth. Even Paul said, for scarcely a righteous will man will one die for a righteous man. And so it, basically in saying that, he's saying there's there's not very good, many good examples of this in the world for us to look at, to, to only the love of God. <laughs> you know, this is what uh, the world needs to hear and see and understand is this because there's so many hopeless people out there who realize their condition. They realize that they're sinners, that they're ungodly, that they're powerless against sin in their lives. And they think they're hopeless because they've never met Jesus Christ. They've never seen God's love demonstrated to them. And the reality of that is, this is going further down the line. The reality of it is that Jesus is in the world now to demonstrate his love anymore. The only way that people are going f- to uh, understand and see the love of Christ evident in what he's done on their behalf is if it's alive and well within us. In order for the, the world to understand this, it's our reaction and our response to the love that God has demonstrated to us that brings us back into reconciliation with him. It's hard to feel that love and not react to it in one way or another. I've heard
0: stories about how people, sometimes when they they go to a church and they're not greeted with open arms, uh, the church really has to repent from, from this attitude, but we oftentimes make it more difficult for people to come to church or to be involved in spiritual matters because we treat people in the sense that, oh, well, they, you actually do have to clean yourself up before you can come and be amongst holy people. You know, you have to dress right and you have to behave in a certain way. But that's, that's not the way that Christ treated anybody. And it's not the way that that Paul is promoting. We can't make ourselves good. So the, the right thing to do would, would not be to to shun people because of their unrighteousness, but to recognize that, by coming close to them in the name of Jesus, that they can experience God and know that they're not separated from him. To have that kind of positive influence, because we're down in the dumps and we, we, we feel rejected. And then to have somebody come along and say, oh, well, you're not perfect. You need to get your act together before you come back to this place. I've heard so many times that people have rejected religion in general, just because that is so often the attitude. But here we see a picture of, of Christ openly welcoming people who are not like him and, and don't know how to be or do any real good. And he says, my righteousness is, is now yours. Yeah. I mean,
1: Jesus said it so succinctly himself. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. And yet we as his his uh his people many times, people come and they're they're laboring and they're heavy laden and they're like you said, they're depressed, they're burdened by the the world. And it seems like it's getting worse and worse. And the church should be this respite, this place where they come and and they can see that Jesus' love is being expressed, and they receive rest from just being in the presence of God. God's people who have the love of God in their hearts. And this isn't, I'm not, uh, this isn't a point of cynicism. This is a point of observation is that this is the truth and the reality of what God wants us here for is, is once we've received this great love, that he wants us to be the bearers of it to other people so that they can have the same joy that we experience. Right. Yeah. Sometimes we do have to accept that reality that,
0: that people aren't, automatically going to be nice just because they're, they're going to church, but we don't have to pay that any attention because we can believe what the gospel says that God loves us no matter what, even if other people don't
1: express it. Right. And it's important for us to understand that is that despite what's going on around us in whatever body you might worship in, if there's divisions, if there's uh, tribalism going on, just like it is in the world, whatever it might be, that there's still the gospel of Jesus Christ that can be revealed in your heart and can change the lives of people. And that's our sole responsibility as disciples of Jesus is is to reveal that truth.
0: Okay, so I think we can summarize verses 6 uh, seven and eight by asking the question, "Well, who qualifies to receive the gospel?" Yeah, apparently it's
1: anybody who's ever sinned. So that's that's you, that's me. That's, that's me. I can raise my hand. That's for sure. Everybody who walks through those doors. Yeah. When I'm usually teaching this, it's about this time that I I ask people in the audience raise your hand if you qualify, uh, because it's a it's an important point in time to realize that uh, yes, I do qualify. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God has demonstrated his love to me. He came seeking me out and has restored me through his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, later on in the, the, the verse, it's, it says, there's another one. It says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled. That even is more descriptive. Like, you know, it's a, it's a pretty strong word to have an enemy. Uh, but, not
0: just enemies with other people, but enemies with God,
1: yeah, your creator. It's amazing to be separated from the creator and the one who love has loved us with such great love. It's just amazing to be reconciled to him because of the death of his son, Jesus Christ, and saved from what we deserve.
0: I'm looking at verse 9 and it says, so much more than having now been justified by his blood. So it's this new standing that we have, this new condition. It says, we'll be saved from wrath through him. As we look at verse 10, also, uh, there's kind of this parallelism that occurs between the two. So there's like a part A in, in both verses and then a part B. Uh, verse 10 then goes on to say, if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, and much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So let's kind of break down those those parallels a little bit more.
1: Okay, as we're reflecting on these verses, we need to refer back to what we've already studied about justification. And that is, is that we've been declared righteous because of what Christ has done. And so basically verse nine is saying much more than having now been justified, having now been in the past tense, declared righteous because of his death or his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. So in other words, I want to, I want to take this statement on its own being saved from the wrath through him means that we're no longer subject to the wrath of God uh, that is to come or that is present. And we could spend a whole section on just trying to understand exactly what God's wrath is. But in the end, God's wrath really is a demonstration or it's a separation from who he is. Uh, In other words, where God isn't life doesn't exist as well. And so uh, God and life are just like God and love are complete together. God and who is the giver of life is also the one who expresses it in all that he does. And so uh, in being justified from God. Now we don't have to worry about the sin in our lives, creating this issue of death and ultimately eternal death is what he's talking about there. So praise the Lord Jesus Christ that because of his, the blood that he shed and our acceptance of the life, death and resurrection and the birth that is his acceptance of his holy history now gives us uh, no fear of the judgment to come. Okay. And then that's taken a step further in the verse 10, because it says, once we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. In other words, to be reconciled means be, to be brought back into community, I would say.
0: So we're saved from wrath and, the, and separation from the life of God, because really that's what it is. Because if you don't have God, you don't have life. We, we can't exist eternally within, within ourselves. So there's that aspect of it. And then when it mentions in verse 10, how after being saved from death through Jesus, that, and we're brought back to him, we, we are reconciled, meaning through Christ, we are reconnected with God. It goes one step beyond that and says, we shall be saved by his life. So first we're brought back to God. There's that sense of forgiveness and wholeness uh, that, that we now have. But then it goes beyond that. It's, it's saying that we now have a new existence, a new way of thinking, a new, a new mode of being. And that is in the life of Jesus and experiencing things as he would experience them if he was living inside, inside of our bodies, like in some ways, like driving us like a car.
1: Yeah. I mean, our very, the very way we go about our lives has changed because Christ is now part of who we are. We can't separate that part from the rest of it that we've been saved because of the life of Christ uh, and, and how that life now is given to us and in both imputed and we'll talk about those words too we just need to have a clear understanding that the the life of christ is not only become part of our uh, history now that is our history the life that he lived but it also becomes a living reality god now has plans for us to clean the pig the mud off the pig and make our lives different and I'm excited about that as much as part of the gospel as anything. Yeah,
0: and then there's a whole process of sanctification because it's not just a one-time event where you kind of arrive and it's like, oh, I'm here now, like I'm going to church and I'm perfect and there's no problems in my life. No, it's a continuum of daily being made righteous by God. You know, like, like Paul says, I die daily and I can consider myself to be dead to sin every day and alive in Christ. It's that renewing of that trust in God.
1: And it's also, it's a celebration or rejoicing of the, as we consider the extent of Christ's love to us and of God's love for us. That's what we need to reflect on every day as well, because it's as we, as we embrace what God, his caring and loving spirit towards us, That's what motivates us to move forward and to say, yes, Lord, whatever you want to do with me, please do, because I know it's going to be for my good, because I realize how much you love me. Instead of looking then at at what God might be suggesting for us in our lives as uh, mandates and laws, so to speak, now we realize that God is about giving life to us and whenever he speaks to us now in our lives it's because he chooses to give his life to us through his son jesus christ and so that changes things in terms of how we view what's going on behind the scenes and as we read the word of god
0: thanks for listening visit adventicityministries.com for more resources including a study guide, reference compilation, and free downloads of our book, The Ephesus Model. You can also listen to other presentations and episodes of this podcast. See the show notes for links and more
1: information.